0: Hello, everybody. Welcome once again. As we continue on in our study that we're doing uh, through the New Testament right now, uh, we're working through it a chapter at a time. We've been more than two years, uh, steady plugging away. Uh, remember just to lay it out for you so we know we're headed over the next three years. We'll get the New Testament wiped out. And then when we're done with that, we'll jump into the Old Testament and then 15 years and we're done. So 20 years from start to finish and then we'll do it again because I'm sure I miss some stuff along the way, okay? Knowing that I'm going to do it again, I can skip over a verse every now and again. So it's all good. So that's the plan. Glad you're along for the journey. And uh, we've already done the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we're into the book of Acts. Um, we Remember, we did the Gospels, we did Matthew, Mark, then we did John, then we did Luke, so we could do Luke and Acts together because Luke wrote both of those books. He wrote them to a person named... Theophilus which means lover of God and even if there was no such person as Theophilus which we believe there was he was writing it to all the lovers of God which is us Um, in in the book of Luke Luke uh, researched uh, as a historian and as an eyewitness to some of the events um, the life of Jesus and um, what was happening there, well, in particular in, in Acts, he's an eyewitness event. Uh, he researched the, the life and the ministry of Jesus, records that for us in the Gospel of Luke through the crucifixion and resurrection in the book of Acts. Um, we have Jesus there in that time between the resurrection and the ascension. Uh, in chapter 1, he's hanging out with the disciples. Uh, he, he leaves in chapter 1. In chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, and the church begins. And the book of Acts is a, um, is a writing on the events of the early church. How it started and how it took off and how all that impacts us today. And, um, you know, I've told you this, we're, but you need to hear this. As you read the book of Acts, you need to connect with it as part of your history. You're a part of the same story. That while we're no longer adding to the canon, we're not writing the Bible any longer. That's done. Um, but we are still in some way involved in the book of Acts because it's an account of the church, which is us. And those things that are going on in your life are very similar to the things that are happening here. And, and the things that you're doing for the kingdom are the same kind of events. And so we're connected um, by history to uh, the events that we read about in the book of Acts. And um, we started and we saw a lot of the ministry of Peter in the beginning. And then throughout, we've had people introduced to us in the story that Luke introduces uh, to us. um, You know, guys like Stephen and Philip, who's going to be back in the story today. And then Saul, who becomes Paul. And we see how persecution hits the church in Jerusalem. And and out of that persecution, the church begins to spread. We see how the church in Antioch begins. And they feel called to begin um, reaching out to the Gentiles. And and, um, they have great uh, impact. On the Gentiles, with the, the message of Jesus, um, we, we went. The, the, those guys took it back to the church in Jerusalem who gave it their okay, and basically said, okay, you know, these are the things we want them to do. Do the next right thing is what I sort of summarize that as. And, and they've been sending out from Antioch, these missionary teams, um, you know, Paul, primarily, first Paul and Barnabas, then Paul and Barnabas have a little falling out, which they work out over time, and then Barnabas goes off, Paul takes Silas and goes, and there's characters coming in and out of the whole journey and story, and we're, we've, we've been through three missionary trips. We're in the third journey, um, and it's, it's the end of it, and, he, and Paul now is, is heading towards Jerusalem. And we've been watching the events along the way. On all these journeys, we've seen where where Paul has gone into these places. He started with the synagogues in almost every place. He would preach the the good news there, and and some of the Jewish people would believe, and some of the people that were seated there who were called God-fearers, that were Gentiles, who would hang out um, sort of um, believing in Yahweh, God, uh, they would hear, and many of them would be converted, and the church would start in those places from those people. Once the Jewish leaders, which happened in every town, got tired of Paul, which they did fairly quickly, they would boot him out of the synagogue. Sometimes they would kick him out of town um, and and run him out, and he'd just take his message somewhere else. Other times, he would just set up shop. We've seen it a couple of times next door to the synagogue and continue his ministry, and the church would flourish. The last big stretch of time Paul spent was in Ephesus, where he was for almost three years, and the work that the Lord did there was amazing um, where it says that everybody in the whole province of Asia, as they called it, at, and in those three years heard the word. Not that they all believed, but they all heard it. That's pretty amazing stuff for the Apostle Paul. But he said he preached every day for most of that three years. So uh, he's, he's now leaving Ephesus. He needs to go to Jerusalem. He started the journey, and on the way he keeps visiting churches. Also during this time, he's, we've been recording, he's writing a lot of the letters that make up the rest of the New Testament. He's, he's already written you know to the Corinthians, he's written to the Romans, and when we go into and dig into those parts of the Bible, now you see how they fit into the history of the early church and what Paul was dealing with. And remember, as we start reading them, um, to the letter to the Romans and the, letter to the, the letters to the Corinthians and uh, the the. Gentile, the the, uh, the Galatians and the Ephesians and the Philippians and the Colossians. I said Gentiles because I remember those far by Gentiles eat pork chops. Um, that's how I remember those books. Um, each time he's writing back to the churches that he started in response to problems that they're having. And so you, you're going to get them in a whole different context when you hold them in context with the book of Acts. Because you're going to go, oh, well, that was on part of that missionary journey when he was there, and that's when he did this, and those things happened, and these are those people, and now he's writing to those situations. And so he, was, he would go into those places, and then um, he would preach the word, things would start, he'd move on to the next place, and then on his next trip, he would go back through those places, and he'd see what God was doing, he'd appoint elders, he'd send people in if he needed to, to go and help them out a little bit more, he would write letters back to them, to help direct them in their growth, and this was how the church started. This is how we got started 2,000 years ago. It's how, the, how it happened and, and has continued to happen through, throughout all this time. Um, it's ebbed and flowed and split and done all sorts of other things, but here we are. Really fascinating when you think about it that here we are. And we're called to the same stuff, the same thing that Jesus told his disciples to do. He's told us to do. He's empowered us by a Spirit and so said, go do it. People need to know about me, and, and I'll give you whatever you need to make it happen. And that's what he does. And so we're called to that life. So that's what we're up to. And uh, if you remember, at the end of chapter 20, he's just had this uh, very emotional farewell with the uh, uh, church elders of Ephesus who have come to him in a town about 30 miles away because he, he knew if he went back to Ephesus, he'd never get out of there. And he's, he's compelled. He, he's got to go to Jerusalem. Now, you'll, you'll see and read in here that people keep warning him not to go. Prophetic people keep coming and giving these warnings of things that are going to happen. But you'll also see, if you look deeply, that because um, some people have uh, say that Paul's being rebellious when he goes to Jerusalem, and that's why bad stuff happens. Paul says it clearly that he feels he's led by the Spirit. And remember this is a key thing, and we'll touch on it again. Paul's taking the church in Jerusalem this time is, is in a really bad, sh- bad shape, and they've really been persecuted, and they're, they're dealing with no money and things like that. And Paul has taken up a very significant offering from the... Gentile churches, that he's trying to get to Jerusalem to bless the church there. And it's a part of his heart for the unity of the Jew and the Gentile in the church that is pushing him on, I believe, to get this there. I've got to get to Jerusalem. And, and you'll see where people keep telling him, you're going to end up in prison. These bad things are going to happen. He says, yeah, that's, that's not new. i got to move on. Because you've already seen he's ended up, he's been in prison. He's been stoned to death. Um, you know, taken out. We think he died. who knows, but pretty badly stuff Couldn't have been fun to have people throw rocks at you, <laughs> whatever the end result is, and haul you out of town for dead. And if you remember the story, I love it because he hops up and runs back in and starts preaching again. Um, you know, you, it, it's really, Luke is pretty funny, you know. I mean, you read this stuff, you it's not, Luke is funny because um, the whole story of Eutychus that we read about last week, you know, the guy who falls out of the window at midnight because Paul's been preaching since dinner, Eutychus falls asleep at midnight, three stories to his death. Luke's a doctor. said he died. Paul runs down there. Oh, he's not dead, prays for him. He, he lifts up, and then Paul goes back in, eats again, and then preaches until daylight. I love that stuff. There would be nobody left here. <laughs> if I went to by midnight, you, you all would be gone already. By quarter after eight, most of you would be out of here. Dude, I'm sorry, you're supposed to be done at eight. You... You ain't Paul. That's the whole thing I would get. No windows to fall out of, but still. You know, I always think about the differences. Because there's, like when we would go on a mission field, a lot of times in Cuba, you know, they don't have a lot to do. So church is what they do. You know, it's what they do. And so they they get upset with you if you don't talk for two or three hours. Like, you know, hey, we walked here 10 miles. <laughs> you're, you're what we're doing today. Keep her going. <laughs> and so, you know, when you're like me, when you're pretty used to clipping them out of 20, 25 minutes, I, I can do it. I can, I can stand and talk for a long time. But but I used to be fascinated. And I always think about this, this one time. And I know you've told you this story, but it's one of, it, just, it just clicked into me thinking about Eutychus and hanging out. The, the, I was in Cuba one time. And... Um, I was talking on the kingdom of God, and I started, uh, it, was, it was, you know, I probably started at five or six, and I'd been talking for a couple hours already, pretty steady, and it, it, it was light when I started, and it had gotten dark now. And and in this transition, they, uh, and this place was a, it was a seminary of some sort, kind of a big open spot, and, uh, you know, I had old lighting and things, you know, and it was hot, and, and the, it was packed, and, and these people were there. And at some point, um, in this point in time, I started noticing myself ducking. I was doing this as I was talking. I was really into what I was doing. I'm doing this. I'm looking around. What's coming on? What's coming at me? And see, the mosquitoes had come out, and the bats were filling this place. And the bats were swooping over the crowds, and, and swooping at me coming by the mosquitoes. And, and nobody moved. Nobody did anything. Nobody even said anything. So I just kept going, and I thought to myself, I got one bat at Big Pine, the whole place would be empty. <laughs> you got bats. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> ah. That was all Prelude. Acts chapter 21, 40 verses, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading out of the NIV. You can turn there in your Bibles. You can follow along your notes, however you want to do it. Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 40. After we had torn ourselves away from them, that's the church leaders of Ephesus, we put out the sea and strailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes, and from there to Petara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board, and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And we'll talk about that when I break this down. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. And remember when there's a we going on? That Luke is part of the team. It changes back and forth throughout Acts. When Luke's with them, he's we, and when he's not with the team, he talks about them. All right. Uh, We left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and and children accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. There's somebody back into the story. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. I'm not sure, that's not why they were unmarried. Um. (laughs) After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, Tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers... We have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, News reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commanders and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another, and since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mobs was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, Away with him. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago? And Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Blessed be the word of the Lord, because that's where that chapter ends. I think that's where they got it for TV. It's a cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger. Now, um, and we'll find out what he says next week. But lots of stuff happened in this this chapter. And you know... when, when the Bible was written, it wasn't... They, they, the guys didn't sit down and write chapter 2, verse 1. Now verse 2, you know that, right? They just wrote this stuff, and then later on, for convenience sake, somebody sat down and split it up into chunks. Why they chose there to stop, I'm not exactly sure, but that's where it stops. You would think they would carry it on to the next... But the whole speech is picked up in the next chapter. All right, so let's talk about some important stuff that happens in... Uh in these verses, so in verse one, um, they 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 leave this very emotional farewell from the Ephesian elders, and Paul gets on a, a ship, so, uh, obviously a small ship because it, it ports every night, so they just that's why there's those towns happen. It's a one day trip, and they, it's not a big enough ship, so they they just go from port to port, and they make these one day trips along the way until he finally, um, in verse two, gets to a ship that doesn't need to port every night, and he goes to uh, Phoenicia. And, and uh, that ship sails for a while, and, and then in verse 3 and 4, they go to Tyre, uh, where it, it's going to unload its cargo, which is going to take a week. So Paul meets with the believers there. There's, there's a church that started there, probably from the persecution. It's not one of the places where Paul's been before. A lot of churches got started from the persecution uh, of the Jews in Rome and, and, uh, and, and the believers in Rome. And so they, they move along, and... Um, uh, it says in those verses that they're aware through the spirit of what Paul's going to go through in Jerusalem. Now, it sounds like they're, they're telling him this so that he doesn't go. But, but what, what you need to see in there is that um, the spirit of God is, is making people aware of what Paul's about to happen, I think, so they can pray for him. Um, it's not to dissuade him. It's that he's going to need everybody praying for him as he goes through this situation. This is going to be a very tough part of his journey in life. This trip into Rome, and so uh, and yet uh, even though they try and talk him out of going, Paul's confident that he's supposed to go. Um, we know Paul's confidence. A couple of verses, Acts twenty twenty two says um, this, uh, and now compelled by the Spirit, Paul says, "I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there." Um, he's pretty. He's been aware of some stuff going on. Acts twenty one fourteen. Uh, It it, it says, it will say, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up, and he said, and all said, the Lord's will be done. So, um, uh, because the argument, like I said, has been that some people will make that, and there's another thing that happens here, that Paul um, gets a little rebellious here, that this is a bad side of Paul that we're seeing. I don't believe that. I I think Paul's just doing what God's telling him to do. And that um, God's put Paul into a lot of situations where bad things happen. It doesn't mean God wasn't with him just means that's part of the deal, and Paul knew it. Um, because I've already told you some of the stuff Paul goes through. We'll read later on in the letters to the Corinthians the extent of Paul's trials um, and, and struggles and persecutions on his journey, shipwrecked and, and you know, beaten and, and flogged and all the things that he endures along the journey. But that doesn't mean he was out of the will of God. It, it means that this is what God had him do in his in his journey, and Paul knows that. So, um, these prophetic words are coming pretty pretty intensely to Paul uh, uh, through the church now. And and see, because the church has grown, guess what? There's more gifts available because more people are gifted, and so there's more of this stuff happening now than there was because people are doing the ministry, and so prophetic gifting is flowing along with all the other gifts. And so there's there's more people in tune with what the Spirit of God's doing, and so these things are, are happening. Uh, in, in verse 5 and 6, in seven days, we can see how the church at Tyre quickly bonds with the Apostle Paul because he gets another big send-off. It's not quite as emotional as the one uh, in Miletus with the Ephesian elders, but, but all the elders and their wives and their children go, and they want to say goodbye to Paul. They're going to miss it. And they all get together, and they kneel down and pray on the beach. Pretty cool thing um, in the process. Uh, I think Luke includes those things so you get a, you get a feel for what Paul was like and how much people loved Paul, how, many, how much the believers loved Paul, and, and why he could get away with preaching for 12, 14 hours. They just didn't want him to stop. See, that was the deal. They, they, there was this intense thing going on in the process. So after the seven days, uh, he set sail again to uh, Ptolemy, so it's about 20 miles away, and then he meets with the church there for a day. He's got a day stop, so he Finds the church that's there. Again, this isn't a place he's been, but there's a church there. There's believers there. He meets with them, hangs out with them. I'm sure he encourages them. Verses 8 and 9. Um, then he heads for Caesarea. Now he's getting really close. To uh, It's about 40 miles away to um, Jerusalem. And he stays with Philip, the evangelist. I love that fact that these guys that were there in the beginning are still busy doing the ministry 20 years later. This, this is 20 years from when we started, when, when the church started in Pentecost. Philip was one of the seven. You Remember, the, the, there were some problems arose in the early church because the. Uh, remember, all, they were all Jewish then, but some of them were Greek. And uh, this thing arose with the Greek Jewish believers that their widows weren't being taken care of when it came to the food distribution. And the disciples said, Look, we've got so much going on, we can't deal with that. So we're going to put together seven men, then they're going to be responsible for it. And they, they, they chose seven of those guys that had Greek backgrounds, pretty much, to solve the problem. Pretty, really smart. They were really smart in the way that they dealt with stuff. We'll pick seven of your guys, boop, and they'll be responsible. Not us. We're going to, we've got to study and teach. That's what we're called to. We can't deal with this stuff. These guys will. And, and you know, it was Stephen and Philip was one of those guys, too. And so, um, Philip, at this point, though, has, has moved on in the persecution. We saw him move, and he settled uh, there in uh, in Caesarea. And uh, along on his journey, um, Philip has uh, now has got four daughters and uh, who all have the gift of prophecy, pretty interesting thing. So that means they're very much involved in the ministry and the things there in the church and, and in spreading the gospel. He's called Philip the evangelist. Um, you, you remember Philip was, was an evangelist even when he was called. His, his time with the Ethiopian eunuch and all those things, uh, we see the process. While he's there... Another prophetic person shows up, Agabus, and he illustrates what's going to happen to Paul. He takes Paul's belt, and then he binds his hands and, and feet and says, this is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt. Not unusual for um, prophetic-type people, in the Old Testament in particular, to be very illustrative with their prophetic things. They would do some really weird stuff sometimes. Because, uh, you know, that, you think about it. You know, I'm reading that like, well, yeah. If someone came to you and took your belt, that would be strange, first off. And then wrapped it around themselves and said, this is going to happen to you. Don't you think that would be a little freaky? Okay, good. Just want to make sure you're in tune. Um, and, and so uh, it, he was just, you know, he's pointing to the fact that Paul was going to get imprisoned. And yet Paul was aware of it. In Acts twenty twenty three, 23, he says this, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prisons and hardships are facing me. So Paul's pretty much aware that these things are part of the deal. Uh, verses 12 through 14, the church once again here pleads with Paul not to go on, um, but Paul is not dissuaded, and, and he will continue on to Jerusalem. And again, remember I said that, that I think one of the most compelling factors in this whole process with Paul and why he won't be dissuaded, he feels led by the Spirit, obviously he's the main one, but he's got this offering that he felt that he was supposed to take up from all of these, church, these Gentile churches to go and help the church in Jerusalem. And, and one of the things that Paul talks about a lot is the unity of the Jew and the Gentile in Christ. Remember, that whole message fell on Paul uh, and needed to be given to the church. Um, fortunately, God had already dealt with Peter, Um, So Peter was a big supporter of it. But that was huge. That was a huge thing that happened for the church, that uh, the the Jewish believers accepted Gentile believers. Because until that time, remember I told you, the, the Jewish people wouldn't have anything to do with Gentiles, very little. You know, if they did let them in to, not into the temple, but in the synagogues around, they had their own section, they were separate, god fears they stayed over there. They wouldn't have them in their homes, they wouldn't hang out with them. All of that was because they had been oppressed by Gentile nations for a long time now, and, and it, their response was not to have anything to do with them. Um, because, you know, they, they were the chosen ones of God, and they had experienced in their history, you know, King David and King Solomon, and, and they ruled... Uh, the the world, basically. You know, everything was ruled by them. And and then they had uh, been oppressed uh, and taken over by Gentile nation after Gentile nation after Gentile nation. And so they just had written them off. And for the church to accept this new concept was huge. And Paul was the basic proponent of the whole deal. Paul says in Ephesians 3.6, write it down, it didn't make your notes. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. See that it's one of the core beliefs of the Apostle Paul in his ministry, and and this this, um, this offering that he's bringing is a picture of this unity. The churches in, in the Gentile churches over here, seeing the desperate need of the church in Jerusalem, is responding in a significant way. With the giving of this offering, and so uh, it's it's a big deal that Paul gets it there. Um, verse fifteen to sixteen, Paul sets out again. Now he's about sixty-five miles away from Jerusalem when he's in Caesarea. He's on his way. Probably goes by ship, but there was an overland route uh, I, as well. But I'm pretty sure he gets back ship. There you go. On his arrival, verse seventeen through nineteen, uh, the next the day after he gets there, he meets with James. James is the head of the church in Jerusalem. James is the half-brother of Jesus, all right? The brother of Jesus. Um, and uh, he's the head of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, Paul reports to them on all that God has been doing among the Gentiles. And and while it's not mentioned because the primary thing for Luke is recording the, the, the ministry um, of, of the Jews out to the Gentiles, they also present the offering to the church uh, elders at that point in time. And then um, verses 20 and 21, the elders of the church in Jerusalem praise God when they hear what's happening among the Gentiles, and yet they're concerned about the reaction of the Jewish leaders with Paul being back in Jerusalem. Um, Remember, in the beginning, when Saul was first converted, he spent a couple of years in Jerusalem, and he was so good at what he did that many people came to Christ, but he really infuriated the Jewish leaders. And so the church actually, because of the heat of the persecution, escorted him away. <laughs> Remember they took Paul away? Like, dude, you got to give us a break, man. you got to go. And he basically is out for 10 years. He, he's, he's off uh, studying and doing his thing, and finally Barnabas goes and gets him and brings him to Antioch and reestablishes his ministry. So now he's back, and the elders are like, this is not going to go well. Yeah, they, they, these people, they've been spreading these rumors about you that you've told people they don't even need to deal with Moses or anything else anymore. And so you have a lot of Jewish believers in Christ that are still following the law. Paul's been out among the Gentiles where that hasn't been a part of the whole deal. And so these, this group comes from Ephesus, basically, where he's been for the last three years, and the word of God is spread, and they see him, and they cause him trouble. Now, this thing that, another thing that Paul gets challenged on is that he goes there, and he doesn't believe that you any longer... In, see, in Christ, he believes that all this stuff is taken care of, and yet there's these tr- traditions of the law that he would say weren't necessary anymore, and yet he agrees to. This whole purification thing, and the guy's vows that he's going to pay, and he agrees to all those things. And so the charge against Paul, that some people have that that he was a cop-out, and that you know, there's no way he should have gone back into that, process. In defense of Paul, because I think Paul was just doing what the Lord would have him do, um, you need to remember 1 Corinthians 9, 20, and 21, because this is Paul's thoughts. Uh, You can write it down. I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians 9, 20, and 21. Paul writes this, to the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. What was Paul saying? Look, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get these people to Jesus. And if it means I'm going to go shave my head again and pay these four guys' vow and do a little purification thing, and that lets me tell these people about Jesus, I'm in. If that's what it takes, I'm doing it. It doesn't go against anything that I shouldn't do. And it just is this thing that these people are going to feel better about me if I do it. So I'm going there. Now, if it was against the book, you know, you wouldn't, it's not an opportunity to go, well, I'm going to go out and hang out with these people so I can tell them about Jesus and I'm going to do all these things along the way. No. Okay. Um, (laughs) I can see that opening up a whole can of worms. But but he wasn't doing anything like that. He's just going and doing some of the old traditional stuff, even though he doesn't feel that he's under it any longer, because he's under Christ's law now, which is different. But he's doing it so that he's got opportunities to preach the gospel to these people. So it, it, when you hear people giving him, if you ever hear that, maybe you've never heard that, that's why he does it. Um, um, the elders remind everyone again about what they've said about the Gentiles. That's sort of re- repeated. And then um, in verse 27 through 38, the crowd is whipped up into this frenzy by these, uh, uh, these uh, Jewish uh, leaders from Ephesus. And um, they say Paul is doing all these things that he's not doing. These false reports happen. And, and then, um, uh, you know, they start beating Paul to death. Nice people that they are. You, you, you know, how often they... The religious community is trying to kill people in this, in this book is crazy. Um, and this crowd is a lot like the crowd that got Jesus. You, you hear him? they also away with him. They get whipped up into this frenzy. And, and the Romans come in, and they, they see them, and so they kind of back off, and they have to carry Paul off. And uh, the commander thinks he's some, you know, rebel from somewhere that's done these things. And Paul starts to talk to him in Aramaic, which freaks him out, in, in Greek and Aramaic. And, he, and, he, and he, he says, you know, these things. And so, um, Paul asked for and received permission to speak and then we'll see you about it next week because that's all that's where it finishes that's how that one ended (laughs) if you're watching by video thank you we'll pick it up there next week just like they did in the book if you need anything call us write us we'll do whatever we can for you we're going to go ahead and pray here tonight as a group and so thanks for watching turn off the